Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us for Therapeutic Thursdays. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen as members sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. My name is Vicki Bestlego. I am the director of the section of clinical specialists and scientists, and I'll be your host today. With me is Hunter Reese from the Metro Health Medical Center in Cleveland, Ohio. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's get started talking about rapid sequence intubation in special populations. So which do you consider to be special populations as it pertains to rapid sequence intubation? So first off, I would just like to say this is an extension of an original excellent podcast by Emily Kilber, Daniel Gerald, and Spencer Krugel that was recorded um, in June of 2021. So check that out if you have not already seen that. And generally in the context of special populations, um, we're thinking about patients who are going to require modifications to standard induction therapy. So as a pharmacist, I'm thinking obesity, head injuries, strokes, status, shock in pediatric patients. Um, however, our physicians, nurses, and respiratory therapists might consider other patients to be special populations for them. Today, we're just going to focus on obesity, um, but knowing that our pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic principles of these medications are going to be equally altered in other populations. How does rapid sequence differ in patients who are obese? So our obese patients have several factors that are anatomically going to make trachal intubation more difficult. So an altered upper airway anatomy, adipose tissue around the neck can actually make it harder for the patient to be put into the best position for intubation. And a BMI over 35 has been associated with difficulty to intubate, so our class two obesity patients. And then a lot of times our patients who are obese also have comorbid conditions that are also going to need to be taken into consideration and potentially make it more difficult um, of a scenario to um, achieve intubation. We also have um, what we're going to focus on today are altered pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamics. So some of our lipophilic drugs are going to more readily distribute into adipose tissue. And then also obese patients can have a higher renal clearance. So when dosing these medications, we need to know which weight we're going to utilize, their total body weight, which can either be their actual or estimated weight, their ideal body weight, so that's going to be based on the patient's height, or there, in some circumstances, you may see a lean body weight used to dose medications, which is going to be the ideal body weight plus 20 to 30% of the difference between the total body weight and ideal body weight. Without having this calculation readily accessible, calculators, dosing cards, anything like that in these um, high acuity situations, this is less frequently used, but you might see it in practice in situations where there's maybe it's found inside an RSI kit and it's already like labeled out for patients and whatnot. However, I tend not to use it whenever we are estimating both a weight and a height. So which drugs uh, are typically utilized in RSI that are primarily affected by these changes? Let's focus first on our paralytic agents, so succinylcholine and rocuronium. Succinylcholine has a much shorter duration of action than rocuronium. Both are hydrophilic and Taking only that into consideration, we'd presume utilizing ideal body weight or adjusted body weight would be sufficient in providing the optimal doses. However, succinylcholine is metabolized by pseudocholinesterase, which has increased activity in obesity. Therefore, succinylcholine is metabolized faster and can have diminished effects when only taking into account the patient's ideal body weight. So for succinylcholine, our data shows that ideal body weight has resulted in poor intubating conditions compared to using total body weight. 
And further data has shown that the onset and duration of action when using total body weight succinylcholine is similar between obese and non-obese patients. So it seems like for succinylcholine, it's better to use total body weight. What about rocuronium? Rocuronium is not affected by the increased sodocholinesterase activity in obese patients. There is data showing significantly prolonged paralysis recovery time in obese patients who receive rocuronium based on total body weight. The time to onset of paralysis does not seem to differ when dosed based on ideal body weight and total body weight. Adding these together and understanding that patients who have prolonged paralysis unfortunately may not always have optimal continuous sedation throughout the length of their paralysis opens an opportunity to harm to our patients, having them paralyzed while awake, which is something as pharmacists we're making every effort to avoid happening. The prolonged effects may also hamper efforts for providers to complete neuro exams. So Recognizing if we aren't able to utilize succinylcholine for its quicker offset, making sure that we're giving doses based on ideal body weight that will not have further increase in duration and if warranted, make it easier to reverse. However, the data we have on this topic remains limited. In obese patients with difficult airways who will not need neuro exams and optimal sedation can be ensured, dosing rocuronium with total body weight is not likely to be harmful. So having a risk-benefit discussion with the provider will help you determine how you'd like to proceed with the dosing. How about our induction agents dosed in obesity? So let me begin by saying that the data on our induction agents is even more limited than it is on our paralytics. Looking through them, um, let's start with Atomidate. So Atomidate, generally dosed on total body weight. There's limited concern for increased adverse effects in patients who receive higher doses. However, there is a real concern that our patients might not be appropriately sedated while they are paralyzed. So utilizing total body weight for those patients to ensure that we are sedating them appropriately and hopefully not increasing the side effects. For propofol, um, we utilize ideal body weight, and that's due to the propensity um, for the medication to cause hypotension, so being more conservative. However, if we do have a patient who we're concerned that they might become hypotensive, I would altogether try to use utilize a different medication, if at all possible, for induction. For ketamine, utilizing total body weight, um, there is definitely a lot of debate on the subject on if there's more concern for the patient being awake and paralyzed versus the side effects of the increased blood pressure and heart rate, which also needs to be kept in mind. However, the dosing for ketamine is pretty broad. So it's one to two milligrams per kilogram. So if we're using the total body weight, we could dose on the lower end of the spectrum, that one milligram per kilogram and hopefully find a good balance of those two. And then for midazolam, utilize generally um, total body weight just for induction doses. If we were going to have them on prolonged benzodiazepines, we generally want to dose more towards ideal body weight because it does distribute into the adipose tissue. What are some strategies pharmacists can make to aid providers in dosing these agents? So I will always advocate for having pharmacists in the emergency department. So of course, that would be one to have the pharmacist there to help um, make those decisions, discuss with the providers, and also just get those medications ready during a very hectic time that the provider needs to be setting up a bunch of other things. Definitely being there to just assist and answer any questions and help prepare. Education is definitely very important. So if there is a residency program for emergency medicine residents, reaching out to them, a lot of emergency medicine residents didn't ever really take this into consideration and just kind of use their total body weight across the board. And then also, if you don't have emergency medicine pharmacist at your location, or they're not always there, 
as is in a lot of cases during like the later hours, um, having dosing cards in airway boxes is a great strategy so that also alerting that the providers that those dosing cards are there because if they don't know that they're there, they're probably not going to be utilized, but is a good thing to have so that the providers have a resource to rely on when pharmacists are not really available during those really acute situations. Well, that's all the time we have today. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's clinical resources on emergency medicine. You can find member exclusive offerings such as the recorded emergency pharmacist series, links to articles and guidelines for emergency medicine and other practice resources. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode and join us here every Thursday, where we'll be talking with ASHP member content matter experts on a variety of clinical topics. And be sure to subscribe to ASHP's podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.